Welcome back to There Are Three of Me. I'm Gabrielle Lawson, Philippe de Lamatroc, and Ina Coriel. And yes, those are pen names, not multiple personality disorder. All right, so we've been reading Philippe de Lamatroc's first story. It's a Star Trek Enterprise story called Alien Us. And we're almost done with it. There's seven episodes left, including today. So we're ready for chapter 24. And things are heating up for sure. All right, let's get into it. Star Trek Enterprise Alien Us by Philippe de Lamatroc, Chapter 24. Do we know anything from the design of their skyship? Basta asked as they stood in the empty apartment. Nothing, Anesh replied. Only the smallest pieces were left. But I think we can infer some things from their behavior. The way they sat on their beds, their chairs would be very different from ours. They sit backwards. They lean back onto a wall when no one is there. He pulled out a, a pad of paper and drew a simple design. It had three dimensions. A square made the base of it with a leg coming down from each corner and a flat rectangle reached up one side. Maybe something like this. Vesta looked it over. How odd. But then I have seen the female lean back on a wall. They looked at our toilets rather askance, too. Inish flipped the page. Maybe they used something more like the chair, but with a hole and basin for the plumbing. He drew the same square, but added a circle to the middle of it. There were no legs this time, but a box to hold the basin. The flat triangle became thicker to hold the water supply. Vesta shook his head. It might be difficult to get custom plumbing to work. They have worked out to how to use ours, right? Inish crossed out the second drawing. True. They also manage with our flat beds, so a bed wouldn't be a problem. Clothing might be. We haven't given them much to wear. They still have their uniforms, though. Perhaps our team can get them back, Vesta said, nudging him lightly. That might win us some favor. Anesh sighed at the nudge. You can speak the language. Why don't you go instead? Vesta turned to give him his full attention. You know the facility. I don't. Anesh, you'll be with special forces. They'll bring you and the mail back. Anesh looked away. I never want to go back. Not for anything. And this won't be as easy as the president thinks. It's Kinesitai. It's their most important secret laboratory since the aliens were found. There's a garrison there. Their best soldiers will be at war or at the border, Vesta argued. Lesser raptors and old men will be posted to guard internal installations. They've always done it that way. Inesh didn't feel any better. He was finally free here in Buftanis. He was happy here. Jiren was full of threats and bad memories. He never wanted to see it again. Vesta put a hand on his shoulder. Don't worry about it now. It could be months from now. Let's just imagine some more furniture. They'll need a place to eat, a table at the right height for your chairs, perhaps. Malcolm wondered if they were testing the limits of his sanity. He was tired, but every time he began to nod off, SOS would blare again. It practically rang in his skull. It was maddening. And for the first time in months, he was truly, utterly alone. He had to power down the console altogether to cut Hoshi out. One of them could get some sleep that way. He couldn't shut his own ears off that way, though. He hated to think how alone Hoshi must feel. She'd be worried. He didn't want to bombard her with this, so he left her out. He couldn't tell her why without subjecting her to this basic form of torture. Sleep deprivation was nothing new or novel. The heat lamps had been on when he cut the power. 
they were on again. So the blaring SOS was going on for two days at this point. Would they continue to three? Would they risk four or five? People had been known to go mad from lack of sleep. Was he more valuable to them sane or insane? Insane, he might talk more in his true native language, but he, would he say anything that made any sense? A few hours later, the heat lamps shut off. A few more after that, and the SOS fell silent. Malcolm's head still throbbed with it, but he felt so relieved he didn't mind. He collapsed over on the bed, exhausted. He was so tired that he left the console dark and went to sleep. Dr. Bishte managed to keep his tone rather diplomatic, Beju thought. He'll certainly be off balance when we wake him up, but what do you plan to ask him that will be of any value? Major Jena also managed to keep an even tone. He can explain the words. He can use hand signs or drawings, but it must explain them. Which is its home planet? Which is his ship? What do the others mean? Beju kept his mouth shut, especially when Major Jena was around. It wasn't a lesser's place to interfere. Still, he thought Jenna had a point, one Samwise wouldn't appreciate. Well, I don't see the scientific point of your method. Burha always was more hot-headed than Bishte, but then he was used to arguing with raptors in front of the council. Kinesitai was far less formal by comparison. You can find out if it can breathe underwater, Jenna replied. Beju knew that was ridiculous. It was just an excuse. We already know from his biology that he does not. Burha shot back. Why? Jenna asked. Because it has no gills? Neither do many amphibians. Neither do mammals that live in the oceans. Perhaps it can hold its breath for three hours like, I, like the Katura. Bishte held up a hand to dissuade Burha. He doesn't have the lung capacity or a mechanism to completely block his airway. Stop bothering with pretense, Major. We're all intelligent enough to know what's going on. He put a hand on Beju's shoulder to indicate his in inclusion. Beju appreciated that. Jenna stood up straighter and looked Bishte right in the eye for a long moment. Then let's get started. Malcolm opened his eyes just in time to see three outstretched fingers reaching for him. There were more hands than that one, and they grabbed him hard. He was still too tired to think. Had they fed him yesterday? Were they going to cut him open again? Three orcs held him to the bed. Malcolm didn't move, but the one at his arm did, and Malcolm was able to see something they must have brought into the room while he slept. It was at least as long as he was, and about a meter deep. There was water on the floor beside it. He started to shake, and the hands gripped him harder. His chest pounded until he felt his ribs would break. They started to lift him from the bed. He kicked as hard as he could, and the sudden movement shook one of the bullies off of him. He managed to get an arm free and pounded the nearest orc in the gut. He lost his grip, but the other regained his on Malcolm's leg. They were pulling him off the bed. Malcolm tried to hold on to something, but the bed was soldered to the wall. There was nothing to grip. The near one grabbed his arm again, and Malcolm did the one thing he could and bit the orc's finger until he tasted blood. The orc screamed and let go. But then the T-Rex spoke. He pushed the orc out of the way and grabbed Malcolm by the throat. His long fingers wrapped all the way around and squeezed. Malcolm clawed at the hand that choked him, but it just squeezed harder. The T-Rex leaned into his face and growled. Malcolm felt light lightheaded. He couldn't get any air. He felt blood trickle down his neck. T-Rex used his other arm to take hold of Malcolm's leg. Then he heaved Malcolm toward the tank. 
Air rushed back into Malcolm's lungs just as he slammed sideways into the hard metal of the tank. He had to get up, to run, to fight, to get anywhere else, but his bare feet slipped in the water on the floor. T-Rex came at him again. He lifted Malcolm up and dropped him into the tank. Tissant core! Malcolm reached for the sides. Hoshi, he screamed. Bubbles escaped his mouth, so he must have said it out loud, but they didn't hear it as his face was still under the ice-cold water. The three orcs were back. They pushed him down. The water... Hoshi! He kept his mouth clamped shut. Nothing. The console. It was dark. His, re he, his reeling mind tried to visualize it to turn it back on, but the pain in his chest was too distracting. The air wanted out. The water wanted in. The orcs' faces turned fuzzy, became the faces of the boys long ago. He turned and thrashed, trying to throw off the bullies that were holding him down. They laughed at him. Where are your gills, fish boy? He managed to grip one side of the tank, but something sharp slashed across his fingers and filled them with pain. There was red in the water, from his neck, from his fingers. The blood was slick, and he lost his hold. He was pushed to the bottom. He could feel the floor on his back. The air filled his head, pushing for a way out. His jaws hurt as he strained to keep them closed tight. Not this way, he pleaded to anyone who could hear his thoughts. He tried one more time to see the console. He needed Hoshi to know. He could just make out the power switch. He lit it up, but it grew dark. His limbs spasmed, but he had lost the strength to fight, to hold the air in. Malcolm Reed drowned for the second time in his life. Hoshi dreamed she was in a pool, at the bottom of a, the pool. She gasped for air and woke up. It was still night. Pippa was asleep beside her, and the room was quiet. She remembered the pool from her dream. She could breathe now. Malcolm! It was him! She closed her eyes and tried to hear him, or see through him, or hear through him. Malcolm, are you all right? She waited for a response, any response. Like all the other times she'd tried since the night the SOS started. No, it was different now. She felt him. She was sure of it. Malcolm! Up was all Jenna said. Beju had to try hard to hide his horror and anger. Samwise had fought like that before the semen collection. He'd kicked him hard enough and sudden enough to cause him to release his leg. But Beju could tell that this time it was out of sheer terror. He helped the doctors to lift Samwise's limp body from the water. Almost instantly, he grew rigid and gasped for air. Life flooded back into him as he coughed up the water and took in the air. Down again, the major ordered. Beju hated that the doctors had to obey the raptor's orders. They pushed Samwise down again. He didn't fight as long this time. He thrashed and pawed at them, but he didn't have the strength to loosen their grip. Finally, his body went slack, and Beju waited for the order to pull him up. Air bubbles rose from Samwise's nose and mouth as his eyes rolled back into his head. Verha spoke up. He can't say anything if he's dead, Jenna. He doesn't breathe underwater. Jenna just stared at him for another few seconds. Then he nodded. This time, Samwise did not become rigid or gasped for air. He remained limp, unconscious. Dr. Burha and Dr. Bishte pulled him all the way out of the tank and laid him flat on his back. Bishte began compressions on Samwise's chest. Beju counted the seconds, hoping with each one that Samwise would revive. Fifteen seconds in, he did. He half coughed and half vomited the water as Burha turned him on, to, on his side. He kept coughing for another dozen seconds or so. 
Dr. Kenu, Jenna called. Kenu stood still at the door, his beak open as he watched. When Jenna said his name, he started, then brought out the cards again. He put them on the floor in front of Samwise, making sure they were clear of the water. But Samwise surprised them all. He suddenly got up to his hands and knees and threw himself under the bed. He withdrew into the corner farthest from them all and tucked himself into a ball with his arms wrapped around his knees. He put his head down and shivered. I think he went too far, Major, Fishte stated as he stood up. He's not off balance. He's thoroughly traumatized. He may never speak again. Hoshi heard those words and hoped that orc, Saruman, could persuade Lurtz, her new code name for the one they called Jenna, to leave Malcolm alone. They used his deepest fear against him. Malcolm, she tried again, gently. He hadn't han answered her yet. It had been several minutes before anything came to her since the dream, and it had taken a few more to piece it together. The water in the dream, being at the bottom of the pool, the silence as he had lost consciousness, then the coughing and wheezing when he got it back. He must have opened audio two for her to hear what he heard, but he may have left audio one off, or he just wasn't able to think. Kenan wasn't ready to give up, it seemed. Sharu, he said. She heard a thump and realized he'd thumped his own chest. Then all the hair on Hoshi's arms and legs stood on end as she heard Malcolm whimper. She felt his fear. He was terrified. He isn't looking, Kenu, one of the orcs said. He needs time to calm down. Hoshi heard a growl, then a voice of authority. Everyone out! The growl grew louder. Then, you raptors don't lead the council yet, Jenna. Some animals die from stress, you know. Maybe he can. Let him calm down, and maybe then you can get something out of him. Another growl, then. Leave the tank. She heard footsteps, and then the closing of the door. They were alone. Malcolm, she tried again. They've gone. It's all right now. Talk to me. The only sound was his ragged breath. She wished that... No, she'd tell him, not just wish it. I wish I could be there for you, to hold you until you were stronger, to wipe the water from your face, to tell you face to face that I love you. Hoshi. He sobbed. It was so faint, she almost missed it. She was just so glad he'd responded. She asked no more of him. Why don't I tell you a story? She said as she turned back over. She told him about her grandmother's garden again, about her graduation and why she'd chosen Starfleet. Somewhere in there, the line was broken and she hoped it meant he was sleeping. Beiju was still troubled by what he'd seen the day before. When he'd left, Samwise was still under the bed. He'd fallen asleep tucked into as tight a ball as he could manage under there. It was as bad as the semen collection, he told Kare. Maybe worse. He's in a complete panic, absolute fight, flight or fight. It doesn't, didn't make him talk. It made him close up completely. Kare sat down his food and sighed. I'm starting to worry about you. That got Beiju's attention. Me? You're too close to him, Kare explained. This close to turn, you should know things won't get easier for him. The raptors are taking control at a time when our testosterone is soaring. Yours should be too, by the way. 
Beju growled lightly. It's biology, so of course mine is. But we don't have to be ruled by our hormones. Kare laughed. Actually, we do. We only get this for a few days every three years. Those hormones are trying to ensure the survival of our species. It was ironic that Kare was giving him a mini-lecture in biology for a change. Two weeks, he managed, but he knew it was lame. We get a whole two weeks. Good. You can use the time off. He picked up his food again. Look, all he has to do is survive until turn begins in less than a week. Then he gets two days off, too. Most of the Major's testosterone will have spent itself, and, in all likelihood, the remainder will be redirected toward Shirkatisa. He said the last part in an even quieter voice than their usual whisper when speaking about Samwise. Obek? Beju asked his friend. Kare slid the newspaper over to him. That and the anti-Shirkatisan propaganda. Things are heating up. The new president was on the TV. With turn coming, the protests in Shirkatisa were building. More and more people filled the streets. Their images were all over the news. President Gudai was just finishing his speech in response to the rumors that Jiren would put down the protest forcefully. We will defend our economic interests in Shirkatisa, and we will support the Shirkatisan desire for freedom. Of course Jiren will put it down, Anish said, standing up and walking away with Usa in charge of the council, in turn turning them all into hotheads. Gudai is counting on it, Vesta replied. It will keep them from noticing our little raid. Inesh shook his head. But that's not what he said. He said we defend our interests and support their desire for freedom. I'm not enthusiastic about going on the raid, but I'm less enthusiastic about open war with Jiren. Vesta picked up his things to leave. Let's just hope it was the hormones talking. Either way, worrying about it will do no good. Let's not let the threat of war dampen our enthusiasm for the coming turn. Inesh laughed. Nothing could. It's only once every three years. Two weeks of debauchery and procreation. What's war compared to that? Samwise had not come out from under the bed. Jenna had found his weakness the day before. That was certain. But was it personal or a characterization of his species? If they still had the female, they could have found out. Beju didn't really care anymore. He hated seeing Samwise reduced to the level of a cornered animal. And today wasn't going to be any better. He's been toying with us, Kenu said. We are scientists, Kenu, Dr. Bishte attempted to reason with him. What happened yesterday wasn't science. It was cruelty, and deliberate cruelty is something raptor, raptors practice, not us. Kinu couldn't turn around to face him. He kept staring at the monitor. Well, the raptors are in charge now. Besides, I want answers too. Straight answers, not twelve different languages. He's been deliberately withholding information from us since he came. He crashed here, Burha reminded him. He doesn't, didn't come here by choice, and he's only acting in his own self-interest, which proves his sentience all the more. Torture does not become a winged. Kenu rubbed his eyes and kept his voice low. It's not torture, just more aggressive science. That is torture when applied to a sentient being, Kenu. Bishte changed tactics. What he has been doing, withholding, has not been a personal attack against you, but you seem to be taking this all very personally. Someone could still be coming for him. Kenu stood up to face them. They sent a signal in the desert. The one we blasted in his ears. What does it mean? How long does it take one of their ships to come from his planet? 
wait, we don't know because he hasn't told us where his planet is or how fast their ships go. We don't even know the name of his planet or his ship. We don't even know what frequency they use to broadcast or how long that signal would take before it reaching their planet. We need to know these things. And we need to know their weakness so we can fight them if they come. Major Jenna surprised them all again by showing up in the doorway. Which bone, then, do you think is the strongest? The one in the thigh, Bishte answered, and breaking it will give you no tactical advantage. No, Jenna took another step into the room. Can we assume his ribcage or his skull is not as strong? Bishte took a deep breath. Yes. Beju did not like where this was going. He really didn't like Major Jenna at all. Then the force required to break the thigh bone will be more than enough to break through his ribcage or crack his skull. Tactical advantage. Very useful information. And maybe he can be coerced to share information along the way. Beju really hated that he had to participate. He wanted Samwise to trust him. How could he after what happened yesterday and what was going to happen today? Let's take a walk, Besta suggested. He'd shown up in Enish's door a few hours into the night. He was dressed and carrying a clipboard and pen. Put some clothes on. Turn begins in just over four days. Let's go have a preview of our prospects. That came as a shock to Enish, who was not fully awake. We can do that? Yes, and if they're not already reserved by someone else, we can reserve them with our guards. They stepped down into one of the tunnels that led to the barracks. There's no point looking at the infertile ones. They'd be dangerous to try and mate with. They tend to take such attempts as an attack. The others, though, are getting as anxious as we are. Five days. When Enish was younger, he'd wondered why they had to wait to do this on the day turn started. But since he'd studied biology, he'd learned that the females ovulated only once every three years, and the male's testosterone increased in response. The hormones in both genders peaked at the start of turn, and the females would not be ready to produce an egg until that peak. So even close, just five days, they still had to wait. But this wasn't his first turn. He knew the waiting would be worth it. His hormone levels were still rising. When the time came, he'd barely be able to concentrate. The things that made all the logistics of turn work was that while the raptors and winged's hormones were on the same schedule, the monitors were not. So they organized everything for the raptors and wingeds, and the wingeds organized it all for the, them for them two weeks later. The monitors in Jiren even took over the government during turn. Anesh wasn't sure what they did in Bhutanis, though they did comprise a majority of the civil servants. They reached the winged barracks that held the females who were not given birth control medications. A young man there greeted them. Good evening, gentlemen. Come to tempt the ladies? Won't they be tempting us? Besta asked in reply. Both men laughed. The females, Enesh could see, were, in fact, gyrating in hormonal overload. This guy's new, right? The guard said, pointing to Enish. Enish bobbed his head. I understand you do things a bit differently than in Jiren. As I understand it, though I've never been there, the guard replied. Mark down your top six, and I'll save them for you if you want six of these. Because we can't have you ma mark making six viable eggs, anyone under your top two will be given a drug after to negate the pregnancy. We don't have male children here, so any male offspring will be fostered off-site and eventually adopted. Anish had not realized the latter point, but it was true. There was no male family. Still, he'd left two sons in Jiren when he'd committed treason and had hardly given them a second thought. He wasn't a very good father, it seemed. But he was a good biologist. 
Someone else could raise his children, or maybe he'd have all females. I'm fine with that, he said. He turned again to look at the writhing females. Beju felt sick to his stomach. Samwise had still been so scared that he and Hineth had had to drag him out from under the bed. He'd fought them nearly as much as when Jenna had put him under the water. The doctors had had to help to get him out on the bed and to strap him down so he couldn't move. More than at any other time, Samwise looked like an animal, a caged or cornered one, injured and wild, but helpless against his captors. Beju hated being part of reducing him to that. He wanted to shout that they should stop, that this was wrong. He wanted to stop Jenna or, or kill Jenna. He was surprised by the intensity of that feeling. He'd never felt so aggressive. But he was still in control of himself. Jenna had had the same hormones and more weapons, great claws and a mouth full of sharp teeth. There was a reason raptors were the military. Jenna could kill him faster than he could draw blood. And even if he didn't, to attack Jenna or to even speak out of turn would be treason. And in that, he'd have no friends. He'd die having accomplished nothing. So he stood by with Dr. Bishte, ready to render aid as soon as the bone broke. There were four meters, both on the top of the thigh and also below it. Jenna began with his bare fist. He grunted with the effort as he flung his fist onto the top sensor. Samwise stiffened. It was painful, but there was no break. Some of Samwise's stubbornness was back. He glared at Jenna. Beja was glad to see that, but he also knew this wasn't about to end. Kenneth dutifully recorded the force measured on both meters. Kenu approached the bed. He had a picture. Beju recognized it as a patch from the alien's clothing. He pointed to the picture and said, Aldasufra? Samwise didn't answer. Kenu probably blocked his view of Jenna, who now had a wooden truncheon. Jenna brought it down with one hand. Samwise cried out, but there, was, there were no words in it. Hinath took the readings, and Kenu asked again, Aldasufra? This time, Jenna used two hands, and Samwise screamed when the truncheon hit. Aldasufra! He gasped. Kenu threw that picture down. Hineth took the reading. Jenna had a gun, an assault rifle. Beju recognized it as the kind that Kare carried on duty. Kenu held another picture, the other patch. This one had a planet on it. For Doskimwide. Malcolm didn't want to answer. He didn't want to be there. He wanted to crawl into some hole and never come out again. He'd been lost in the terror of the drowning, the flashbacks from when he was 12. Only the bullies were dinosaurs and he was never saved. He was still with them, and they weren't even trying to anesthetize him this time. This wasn't some experiment. Each blow came harder, and one of them had a clipboard, so they were making a show of it. But this was torture, and Malcolm's frenzied mind couldn't find a way out. They'd made up these words, though, so he didn't, hesi he didn't hesitate much. I was day he corrected, hoping the next harder blow wouldn't come. But it did, and the pain of it overwhelmed him completely. He felt the pressure and the crack of his, as his thigh sent waves of excruciating fire radiating up his thigh and down to his feet. He screamed and struggled against the restraints. The orc was saying something else, but Malcolm couldn't hear him. He could barely see through the pain. The T-Rex waved the other orcs back. Considering he was holding a gun, they stayed back. He let go with one hand and gripped Malcolm's thigh with his long, clawed fingers. Another scream ripped itself from Malcolm's throat as his body spasmed with the pain. 
It took his breath away, and he couldn't find a moment's relief to get it back. The T-Rex spoke in a growl. Malcolm almost wanted to understand. Maybe then he could answer and the pain would stop. But he didn't understand. Frodo! He screamed in his mind. He hoped he wasn't screaming it out loud, but he just couldn't tell. Hoshi woke with a start. Something seemed so wrong that she was fully awake in an instant. Sam? He didn't answer her directly, but instantly she saw a vision in her mind. A winged stood near her with cards in his hands, the linguist. But there was also the T-Rex, Jenna. He had a grip on Malcolm's thigh. Answer the question, he growled. Hoshi's eyes began to tear up, so they were torturing him after all. Your leg? Broke, was all he could manage. She could work out the rest. Jenna held him at the fracture. Talk. It doesn't matter what they ask. They won't understand anyway. Repeat after me. Anglo-Saxon was a precursor to the British-English Mal Malcolm Reed spoke naturally. He could repeat it, and it might seem familiar to those words they'd invented. The Ring of Sauron had to be destroyed. The Nine Walkers were named, and their journey laid out. Across the Misty Mountains, through Lothlorien, down the Anduin, through Emin Muil, through the Dead Marshes, and the Morgul Vale, into Mordor itself. She told of the wargs they had to fight off, the bird spies of Saruman, the failure at Karathras, the choice of Moria. She ignored the questions and patiently laid out the phrases. She cut the video because she couldn't bear to watch. It was hard enough hearing his screams. He was talking. They'd accomplished that. Without drugs, but not without the cruelty Dr. Bishte had told him scientists don't resort to. Kinu was mumbling to himself. It might be the same. A handful of words can't tell us enough of the grammar. It was pointless, and Beju was sickened and horrified. Jenna didn't let go. He kept asking the same question. How far is Auste? Samwise kept gasping words or phrases or sentences, and the major encouraged him by twisting his hands on the broken leg or hitting him with the truncheon on other parts of his body. You got what you wanted, Bishte shouted. It broke. Let him be. We need to treat him. Stay out of this, Jenna warned. He punctuated his command with a blow to Samwise's chest. There was another crack, followed by a raspy scream. Major, Burha tried. He didn't even understand the question, but he's talking. He's trying to give you what you want to hear. That's the only thing torture ever gets you. I don't want to hear what I want to hear, Jenna screamed. He was wild with fury. Beju could feel it too, only his fury was aimed at the raptor. He still had enough sense, though, to not challenge him. Jenna was a greater raptor, and he was a lesser winged. He didn't have a chance. The doctors were the same size, at least, but Jenna was not intimidated. I want the truth! But the blow that struck with that pronouncement stopped the screaming and the babbling altogether. Samwise coughed up blood, and his eyes rolled back into his head. It shocked Jenna enough that he dropped the truncheon and backed away. Bishte and Burha rushed forward. Beju went with them, ready to do whatever they needed. Samwise gasped for air. Bishte ripped the cotton shift Samwise wore to expose his chest. It was discolored already, and there was a conclave indentation near the clavicle on the left side. Hinath, Burha called. Gurney! Hinath left to obey. Release him, Bishte ordered. Beju hurried to undo the restraints. He hated that Bishte had let this happen, but trusted that, doc that doctor especially to save Samwise's life. The orcs had asserted themselves. Hoshi took a deep breath as her connection with Malcolm failed. 
It had lasted for a little while after that last blow. She turned the video back on to see Saruman and Smeagol rushing over her. She brushed the tears from her eyes and vowed to, her, to herself to wait a week. If they held to pattern, he'd be unconscious for a week following surgery, and she had no doubt he needed surgery. She would wait that long, and if she didn't hear from him then, she'd know. She'd know that he was dead. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, that was chapter 24. I told you things were heating up. And actually, that phrase was in the, in the chapter, I noticed. Wow. Okay, let's do a quick summary. All right, so the first scene has Besta and Enesh trying to figure out the furniture they should put in that apartment that they're going to build for Malcolm. And they, you know, Enesh admits that he's he doesn't want to go back and he's, you know, it's Knesetai, it has a whole garrison there and he never wanted to go back for anything. And Besta tries to um, encourage him. And then Malcolm is still under the SOS blaring and he wonders if they're trying to uh, test his sanity because, you know, how many days are they going to do this? You can go insane from not sleeping and it's just maddening the sound. He had to keep it quiet with Hoshi because it would just pass on to her. Without it, she could at least sleep and get her work done or whatever. And then the next scene, Dr. Bishte is trying to be diplomatic with Jenna and you know, saying that, you know, he's going to be off balance, but is, is he going to be able to say anything of value? And Jenna puts, you know, posits that he can explain the words. He can use hand signs or drawings, but he must explain them, which is his home planet, which is his ship, that, you know, so, stuff like that. And Beju is feeling that testosterone, and he is not liking Jenna. Well, um, Berhard points out he doesn't see the scientific method of it, and um, then Jenna suggests they can see if he can breathe underwater, and they biologically know he can't, so he points out that amphibians can, and they don't have gills, etc. So he's making a, a, a show of a scientific value, but it's really not. And then... Malcolm wakes up and finds that they're reaching for him and he sees the tank and he starts fighting with all he has and he almost gets free but then Jenna wraps his arm around his neck and his fingers are long enough. He's a greater raptor. These guys are bigger than Kare. These guys are bigger than Beju. They're about the size of the uh, the wizards, but he's got these long arms with claws on the end, and he wraps them all the way around Malcolm, and he chokes him, basically, till he can't breathe at all, and the claws kind of poke into his neck, and he takes him, and he throws him down by the tank. Malcolm gets a breath, but then it's back, and it goes right down to the bottom of the tank, and he starts to drown and he drowns for the second time in his life hoshi wakes up because she dreams she's in a pool at the bottom of the pool and she wakes up and realizes it's malcolm and that they're you know she's wondering what's going on but the connection doesn't stay and then jenna pulls him up pulls malcolm up and then puts him back down and this time well he manages to cough out the water that first time 
and he, Jenna puts him back in, and this time they hold him down till all the air leaves him. And then some. And then they take him out and put him on the ground, and he doesn't cough out anything. He just lays there, limp. So Burha and Bishte start chest compressions and he and turn him onto his side as he coughs and vomits out that water. And a few seconds later, as he's just trying to breathe, then he just scrambles himself under the bed and he gets into the tightest um, position he can be with his knees drawn right up to his chest and his arms wrapped around them. And he just shivers. And he tries when he's drowning to turn the console back on, but he can't get it to stay lit. Um, but afterwards, uh, he's able to reach Hoshi and just leave on the audio so she can hear, but he can't really speak to her. It's because he just doesn't have the ability. Um, Kenu tries still he tries to get him to you know this we live on sharu so he says sharu and thumps his chest but malcolm's not dialed in <laughs> he is not and one of the others says he's not looking kenu needs time to calm down and then bishte and uh, gets the others to leave he reminds jenna that the raptors don't lead the council yet and that he could have killed malcolm because some animals die of stress and that could have happened and Jenna tells them, you know, because he has to get it a parting shot so he can kind of feel, you know, that he wasn't put down by the the, the wingeds, leave the tank. Uh, so the water tank's going to stay in the room. Um, she finally gets a hold of Malcolm and she talks to him very gently, but all he can do is sob to her her name. And so she tells him a story. And then Beju is very troubled by what he'd seen the day before, the drowning. And Samwise is still under the bed. So Malcolm is still under the bed the day, day after. And he's in, he's trying to tell Kare that this, Samwise is in worse shape than even before when he was, you know, upset over the semen collection. And Kare points out that he's worried about Beju because he seems too close to the alien. And he should be having his hormones soar because turn is coming. And Beju kind of growls at him. It's biology, so of course mine is. But we don't have to be ruled by our hormones. And Kare laughs and says, actually, we do. We only get this for a few days every three years. Those hormones are trying to ensure the survival of our species. And Kare, or Beju corrects him. It's a whole two weeks. Um, and Kare tries to get him to see the positive side that... All he has to do is survive until turn, and then he'll get two weeks off too, and maybe then the, Jenna's testosterone will have bled out, bled off because, you know, spent itself, and then there's probably going to be war with Shirkatisa, so, you know, his attention may go, uh, you know, other in another direction. And um, Beju asked if that's Obek, and Kenu says that and the Shir anti shirkatisan propaganda and he shows him a newspaper. So this is even get Shirkatisa is even getting in the newspapers. So it's the tensions are building with Shirkatisa and the protests that there. And then to stoke the that those um, tensions, the new president, President Gudai of Bhutanis, puts out a message basically saying, 
we're going to defend our, econ our economic interests in Shirkatisa and we'll support the, the Shirkatisan desire for freedom. So it's a very aggressive message, but, you know, measured as politicians will do. But it will exactly it really put, you know, uh, it, it will put the screws to Jiren. And, you know, and it's just like, of course, they'll put him down with Usa in charge of the council next. You know, uh, you know, they're all going to be hotheads. And Besta points out that good guys banking on that. It will keep them from noticing the little raid. And Enish again points out that he's not enthusiastic about going, but he's also in, not enthusiastic about open war. And Besta tries to lighten the things. Well, maybe it was just the hormones talking. Um, there's no reason to worry. It will do no good. And so let's not let the war dampen our enthusiasm for the coming turn. And that kind of works because Enesh uh, says, what's war compared to that? The two weeks of debauchery and, procre and procreation. Now, Samwise is still not coming out of the bed. So this is, I believe, Beju's point of view. And he's still not out from under the bed. Um, but this is the day after the drowning still because it says Jenna had found his weakness the day before. So they knew now that he was very much afraid of the water. And was that just him or was that a species thing? They really had no way to know. But Beju hates seeing Samwise reduced to this level of a cornered animal. And Kenu is spouting his frustration that the alien's been toying with them and that you know, well, the raptors are in charge, and I want answers too. Straight answers, not 12 different languages. He's been deliberately withholding information from us since he came. And Berha points out he didn't come, he crashed. He didn't choose this. And it's torture, and Kenny tries to point out it's not torture. It's just more, more aggressive science. And Bishte says, well, that is torture. And... Kenu spills that they had sent a signal in the desert that the one they blasted in his ears. What does it mean? How long? And he asks all these questions. We need to know these things. And then Jenna walks in the room and says, we need to know their weaknesses so we can fight them if they come and ask which bone is the strongest. And Bishte answers, but he points out that well, breaking it will not give him a tactical advantage. And Jenna actually gives him a tactical advantage because if it, if they can break the strongest bone, they can surely break the skull or the chest, and therefore they have a tactical advantage if they were to fight beings like the alien. We go back to Besta and Enish, and Besta has come at night to Enish's door and tells him to get dressed. They're going to go have a preview of their prospects for a turn, which is very different from anything they do in Jiren. <laughs> But he gets to go and get a view of the the ladies that are, are getting ready for turn. And he can reserve six. And as top two, he will get to um, impregnate. And the other four, he can mate with them. But they're going to give him them a, the female a drug so she doesn't produce an egg. And he also points out that in this facility, this is a secure facility. So any male babies born from those eggs will be fostered elsewhere. So he won't raise his own child if it's a male because they don't have any male children in this facility. Of course, they have 
children, uh, f- female children. That's where our juveniles like Pippa, but they don't have males. So the scientists aren't raising their sons. And Inish thinks about that, but then he's like, well, I left two kids back in Jiren without thinking about them at all. So I'm probably a terrible father anyway. So yes, I'll let the others, um, ra- let others raise his children. Back with Beiju, he feels sick to his stomach by this. Um, Samwise is still scared. He's still under the bed. Henneth and he have to go drag him out of it. And they have to put him up on the bed and, and strap him down. They put a meter above and below his thigh. And then Jenna starts hitting it. And as he does, Kenu asks questions. So he basically put, shows a picture of the, um, I believe it's, what's the Aldastufra? Starfleet, that's Enterprise, uh, the ship. Um, so the patch with the ship, and he says Aldastufra, and Malcolm confirms Aldastufra. And then um, he shows him another picture, and it's more of the planet, and he says, um, Fredoskimwide, and Malcolm actually corrects him, saying Ausday, but it doesn't stop the hitting. And the hitting gets harder and harder, and it starts with his fists, but then it becomes a truncheon. Then it becomes two hands with a truncheon, and he even gets an assault weapon and smacks it down on Malcolm's leg. And eventually, it does break, and Malcolm screams out, Frodo. Now we switch to Hoshi's point of view. She comes back with Sam, and he's able to tell her that it's his leg uh, or that was is broken, and she tells him to talk. It doesn't matter what they ask. They won't understand anyway. So she uses Anglo-Saxon and she tells him to repeat after her. So he starts speaking, but she tells him the story of the Lord of the Rings um, as, as before. That's the plan. And then we go back to Beju and Malcolm is talking. But after the break, Jenna is taking his his hand with all those claws and squeezing that leg right where the break is so he's just causing all kinds of pain and Bishte and Burha basically have to shout at him to try to get him to stop but he doesn't and he actually takes the the truncheon and he's hitting other parts of Malcolm's body until he hits him in the chest and there's an he coughs up blood and that stops Jenna and basically the the um, wizards are able to take over. And the last very short scene has Hoshi um, acknowledging that and that she's going to wait a week because they usually um, put him in a coma for a week after surgery and he's definitely going to need surgery. And if she doesn't hear from him by the end of the week, she'll know that he's dead. And that's where we end. Ah, gosh, as I told you, things are heating up. It is speeding up. We are coming closer in as i pointed out as we come closer to the climate uh, climax we are going to come closer in and we're not going to jump week ahead at a time we're not going to do that we're going to be day by day minute by minute whatever we're going to be a lot closer but things are moving fast anyway it's not slowing down the pacing and we see that with turn coming and the hormones going even Kenu, who's supposed to be a scientist, who's supposed to kind of be ingrained that they don't do things out of cruelty, he's letting the frustration get to him, and he's actually kind of taking it personally, and he's allowing, he's, he's basically saying, some torture's okay to get what we need. But Burha pointed out to 
uh, Jenna that torture doesn't get you what you need. It gets you what you want to hear. And we see the irrationality of Jenna when he says, I don't want to hear what I want to hear. I want the truth. Torture doesn't get you the truth. It never does. And now they have to, you know, it went so far that Malcolm could have died. So they've got to rush him to surgery because he's even got an indentation at his left clavicle. They, he broke that. And that's really close to some very big arteries and a throat and all that stuff. So, yeah, this is a, it's a big deal. So it's, this is, this is not good <laughs> for Malcolm. He is not in a good, sh in good shape. And now Hoshi can't see because, you know, the console's in his head. She can kind of, once it's open, she can kind of do things like she cut off visuals so she wouldn't watch as they tortured him, but she turned it back on as the um, orcs asserted themselves, the, the, the wingets, and, but it goes dark because Malcolm goes un unconscious. And they asked for the gurney, so Malcolm's supposedly being wheeled out of there to head him off to surgery. Things uh, did not end well for him. So he was drowned twice and then had his thigh bone broken, his femur, and his clavicle, among other bruises and, you know, pain. If this is, you know, basically they still did that while he was in fight or flight from the drowning. He's, he's not in a good place. And that leaves us ready for chapter 25. And I so want to just go ahead and read it. <sighs> do I? Do I dare? <laughs> hmm. I kind of want to. Mm. I'll think about it. You can tell me what you think about it by tweeting me at inhildy or emailing me at inhildy at gmail.com. Inhildy is I-N-H-E-I-L-D-I. And I really would love to hear from you. Let's see you later in chapter 25, 25, whether I wait till tomorrow or go ahead and do it tonight. All right. Bye.